Hey, what's up? This is Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the TalkHouse podcast. Today I'm joined by... Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film. And we have a fantastic show for you today. Two names you'll recognize from huge hit TV shows and one cult rocker. Rain Wilson. He of The Office. Josh Radner. He of How I Met Your Mother. And Ben Lee. He of rocking the fucking underground for decades. Now, Nick, there's a fun story about how this podcast came together. Would, would you mind gracing us with this tale? Absolutely. So I met Josh Radner this past summer on a farm at an event hosted by Michael Chernus. He of Orange is the New Black and, very soon, the TalkHouse podcast. He recorded a fantastic episode with Iron Wine Sam Beam recently. Which I'm really looking forward to. Amen. So when I met Josh, he told me about this music project that he was working on with Ben Lee. And I was like, I love Ben Lee and I'm a big fan of your work. We should see what we could do. And now, Nick, with Radner and Lee's record having a very specific topical focus, you wanted to find someone who could really meet them where they are. Yeah, this record is really about spirituality. It's about the way that these guys see the universe. So I wanted to find somebody who is also funny and awesome and really also focused on spirituality. And one person came to mind. Rain Wilson. Brian Wilson. Rain Wilson. <laughs> that's, that's right. Rain is famously uh, of the Baha'i faith and went to NYU with Josh and is good friends with Ben. So what could be better? Now, Rain and Ben sat down in Ben's Los Angeles living room. And we Skyped in Josh from New York where he's filming his new show, Rise. And the guys really get into it. They talk a lot about the essence of this Radnerly record, sort of the reason they made it, which is experiencing and communicating spirituality. These are deep guys. They think a lot about the universe and religion in a sort of general sense. And I, I think Rain says it really well. He says this is a feel-good album from the heart, sincere and joyful. Well, let, let's play a cut from the record now. Nick, which one do you want to do? Let's do Wider Spaces. The great unknown Seeks not to restrain us But Very open-hearted stuff. Yeah, it's lovely. And the guys really jumped into spirituality and music making. And theater and art, transcendence, following your joy. Lots of like really substantial stuff. And as part of that, we hear about Ben's kids album, All About Islam. Josh and Ben's bonding experience in India. And how Rain broke boundaries with a company called Soul Pancake. A little company called Soul Pancake. <laughs> Should we roll it? Let's do it. All right, we're rolling. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Rain Wilson, and uh, I've got a couple of uh, pals here with me. Who's here? Uh, I'm Ben Lee. I'm Josh Radner. Hi, guys. Hi, Rain. So you guys wrote an album. That's blowing my mind right now. Ben <laughs> Lee, I've been, I've been a big fan of yours and been listening to your music for the last 15 or 18 years. Uh, Josh Radner. I'm not a big fan of your music. Um, I'm a big what fan do you of your you acting. You are now. Well, now <laughs> I am. I'm, yeah, a, yeah. I'm a recent convert, but yeah. um, kind of an odd friendship here. How did you guys meet each other? Let's start at the very beginning. Yeah, we actually met uh, because How I Met Your Mother had tried to license one of my songs, and there'd been, I think, an issue with a label or something, but I was very, I saw the show. This was very early in the show. I saw it on the plane, and I was like, Wow, what a cool show. It's this is um 
kind of turning, uh, playing with the conventions of sitcom television. I like I could sense the subversive nature of it, and I'm quite interested in things that are subversive within pop culture. So I just looked up the creator um, on the internet and just called him and said, "Thank you for the interest in me." And he said, "Oh, come down to the set." And so I came down and met all these guys. And then it was um, a couple months later, I think, I bumped into Josh. Uh, on my street, I was living in in West Hollywood, mm-hmm. and then I was just we standing had outside. Yeah, he was house, standing so outside, hoping he would emerge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and the friendship that was like now over ten years ago. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think what was notable about your visit was that um, I also knew your music and had been listening to you, and so I was. I, they told me you'd be coming. I was very excited to meet you. But we, I remember we sat after I had already wrapped. We sat outside um, and just uh, had a really long conversation about about making stuff and it was so invigorating. I felt like, um, I remember the, the, the thrust of what we were talking about was uh, how, to, how to be both popular and good. Like, is there a way <laughs> to make quality work that, get, that gets heard and seen by a lot of people? And I think that's still a question that we're, we're asking ourselves. Isn't um, that funny? Because they say that like these relationships often in the first three minutes, they're sort of crystallized a relationship, what the dynamic's going to be. And ours probably was too. <laughs> like yeah, that question yeah. drives kind of what we do. Is that what they say, that people in the first three minutes kind of... Basically, like for teachers, I've heard of it for substitute teachers and teachers coming into a class, like you have about three minutes to assert the dynamic and the amount of respect that you're going to be entitled to from the kids. Um, something <laughs> like that. I don't want to give Okay, it, but that it, terrifies it me. I'm not going to think about that too long. <laughs> it happens super quickly. So. Right. You know, you do see a lot of this stuff is established very early. Mm-hmm. And what's the next phase of your friendship? Uh, kind of well, jo- joining cults a- and leaving them, basically. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah we, we joined a couple cults together. Um, I did go to Ben's uh, wedding in India, which cult was... number uh, one, yeah. His cult wedding in India, (laughs) which I would say when you go to India for someone's wedding, like that's like a a declaration like, hey, I'm in this with you. Yeah, that's a big commitment. That's a big commitment. Yeah. Yeah, we had trouble, my wife and I had trouble getting people to go to our wedding in Washington State. (laughs) Uh, So India, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, so so once I spent, you know, two weeks in India with Ben and then we were kind of off to the race. I mean, I think I was at your wedding within a year of meeting you or about yeah. a year and a half maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it was interesting, that wedding, because normally I think you would say that for a wedding, your closest inner circle are the ones that are definitely come and then it moves outward from that. Whereas with this, it was kind of people that were up for the adventure were the ones more likely to be there. And some of the people closest to us weren't up for it and didn't come. Mm. But it was very cementing of the relationships. Like, you know, in friendship, that's a big thing. Like the kind of brave hearts that show up in your life. So it was kind of a test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) a gauntlet. It's like getting getting married like in Antarctica to see who shows up. Totally. Let's see how much you care. Now, there's some other elements of your friendship that I, I find really fascinating. And obviously you have a shared interest in love in spirituality. And I know spirituality is a weird word because there's so many negative uh, conceptions just about that word. People just recoil because either it feels kind of very airy-fairy, new-agey, and they're like, blah, or um, it's very it's very vague and kind of touchy-feely in a sentimental way, um, or else it's some kind of fundamentalist religion, and you're couching uh, some fundamentalist belief under the auspices of the word spirituality. So for you guys, and I've engaged in some discussion with both of you guys before, I know that you have a very sincere interest in, you know, 
simply what's beyond the material, what's beyond our experience of having conscious minds kind of shining out through these meat bodies that we have. So how did that spiritual journey, how did you guys start walking that walk together? Why don't you take that one, Josh? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think we were often running on our own uh, series of explorations and questions in that area. We, you know, we do, Ben's from Australia, I'm from Ohio, but we share a kind of middle-class Jewish upbringing. We both went to, um, you know, Jewish day schools. So I would say, and Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but part of our childhood was steeped in questioning in, in, in a, of a very Jewish variety, you know, um, that uh, questions are not only permissible but encouraged, and um, storytelling is a huge kind of foundational element. And I think that's underplayed uh, to Judaism. a lot in Judaism, isn't it? Underplayed that that questioning is so important, and asking the life's big question, and being able to, whether it's to a rabbi or to a congregation yeah, or whatever, yeah. to kind of say, well, why are we doing that? What's the point of this? And yeah, and, and you know, the word Israel itself means struggle. I think like the wrestling with angels is a, is is kind of the ultimate metaphor for for Judaism. I think one of the things. I've always loved and respected about Judaism is that there's no um, belief system you have to declare allegiance to before you can step in the door. You know, you can absolutely be an atheist and raise your family going to shul and bar mitzvah your kids and not believe a word of it, you know. And and to me, that always um, said something about the sturdiness or the security of the religion itself, even though some of its adherents are, you know, famously insecure. <laughs> I think the religion itself, the the ability to stand up to any question, and 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 a lot of times, you know, a good rabbi, for instance, will say, "That's uh, that's above my pay grade. I can't answer that for you." But keep asking the question. Um, so so I think you know the combination of growing up with this storytelling as well as the questioning, and um, you know, when I was in high school, I started acting, and you know, I met you, Rain, when uh, we're both NYU grads, but I met you in the. 90s uh, at NYU when I was actually thinking about that today when you were rehearsing you would always use the rehearsal space for New Bozina um, when I was uh, at NYU so um, but when I was when I was and for uh, the only 137 people who know what the New Bozina is yeah a very insane kind of clown, clown show clown sketch comedy one of the great one of the great evenings in the theater I've ever spent uh, by the yeah, way yeah yeah we're still yeah. we still talk about reviving the New Bozina every once in oh, a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the, and um, sorry, continue. but but you know the, the the theater was my religion for so long, and and ultimately it couldn't support the uh, depth at which I was asking questions. I think, and also, you know, getting hit with unemployment and sporadic employment and the crazy nature of uh, of the business. I think I I, I needed. I, I initially wandered into like meditation because I needed some anxiety relief. I needed some kind of anchor in the on the high seas of of this crazy business. Um, but then I found myself longing to go deeper, and I and um, you know I started studying the Vedas and Buddhism and Sufism, and I just I just found myself um, mystic Christianity. I got very hungry for other perspectives, and I um, I just got suddenly in my late twenties and early thirties I got very theologically and philosophically curious, and then you know throwing a hit TV show on top of that and some fame and, and celebrity and, and the, the weird disorienting nature of that made me um, cling or at least uh, long for, for to go even deeper into that stuff uh, as some sort of um, ballast or anchor that, in my so life. That's so funny. I mean, we've spoken before, Josh, but we never really have spoken about this before, which is for me too, and this is like the height of pretentiousness, so 
I apologize to all of you listeners, but um, that theater was my religion too. I really, you know, because I grew up in the Baha'i faith and uh, was very involved and then rejected it very strongly um, when I was around 20 and I was going to NYU and, um, and just took all of that uh, fervor, that kind mm-hmm. of evangelical fervor for uh, faith and moved it into religion. And NYU really supported that. I think the whole Zelda Fitchhandler who, you know, ran our program, like she supported that. Like we, we, we make theater to change lives. We make theater to change perspectives and yeah. to take an audience on a journey that they've never been on before. And it's a personal transformation too. You as an individual, as an actor, transforming yourself into these characters and telling those stories and taking people on that journey. But that's, that's funny because I, I definitely uh, relate to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that time, you know, when Zelda was running the program, I remember, you know, at the beginning you'd kind of gather around as if she was delivering a kind of sermon or something. You know, it was very, it had a kind of, the more I reflect on it, and I was reflecting on this at her memorial, it had a kind of mystical bent to it, that whole NYU vibe when we, when we were there. Uh, it, it didn't feel that they were at odds with each other, but at, at the same time, the theater uh, didn't feel like it could answer all my questions. Like you know? I, I remember when she said, the longest, most difficult journey is the journey between two hearts. You know, she would say stuff like that as a as a matter of course. That's and you're awesome. studying acting, so it was like you're like you know you're 20 years old. You're like wow, amazing. <laughs> but sorry, but yeah. it couldn't fulfill you, nor could it fulfill me on my kind of spiritual, artistic, comedic journey. So that's when you still felt like you know what this isn't cutting it for me because I know for me, Josh, like I really thought like wow, if I can work with great directors and do theater and you know, do the right production of Pier Gint in the right church basement to the right 37 people, then their minds will be blown and, you know, it will feed off each other. You'll be enlightened. We'll be enlightened. I'll give enlightenment to them (laughs) through storytelling that will affect me. And it didn't quite pan out that way. And I I definitely felt the same thing. And it was, you know, three, four years out, I was kind of like, you know, I'm working with some good directors. I'm doing some good plays, some really bad plays. And uh, boy, it's... Not real, not really changing the world here. Yeah, and I'm not really. You know, it's interesting. Is is getting a, a a very big audience as as we got. You know, you've done some amazing things with your platform. Like it's it's an incredible thing to take what could be a very frivolous kind of like oh I was on a hit show and then I just I don't know retired, but rather than that, just say look now now there's some attention. I can how how do I want to use this? I mean, those are questions I always ask myself. So, you guys are going on this spiritual journey that has led you to the album Radner and Lee by Radner and Lee. Why is it Radner and Lee and not Lee and Radner? Well, we had another... uh, Our original name for the band was Love Songs for God and Women. (laughs) Um, Because we were just like, it wasn't enough. We were just trying to see, like, how on the nose can we be? Um, (laughs) But but once we realised... It's funny because this thing has broadened in the sense of our ambition for it, very organically. Like, we started off thinking, okay, this is our little project, we're doing it, and stepping into... I've found this often in things in life that it's beautiful when you can step up into them as opposed to needing to puff them up with bravado. Like, when they call you, you know, Mm. when a project demands a bigger stage as it evolves as opposed to going, I want to be the greatest in the world and play Wembley Arena. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like 
It evolved organically. It evolved organically. And it started, I imagine, with a couple of buddies sitting around. Sitting on Josh's couch. and, and, And we've slowly realized, oh, not only is this more fun and sustainable than we originally felt, but the, there's an audience for it. And they like, and so anyway, that's all about why we ended up calling it, you know, our names. And then we were just looking one night, we were like, what's it going to be? And I was like, our names, right? Josh said our names. And there's this, some, Radner and Lee does sound better than Lee and Radner. I don't know why. It's like a, it's to do with like the syllable. It was Lee Radswell. That's Maybe it that? sounds is like one a, person's name. Yeah. Like Lee Radner. There was some like Kennedy person. I can't even remember who that was. But can I share one thing just because I was inspired by what you guys were saying about the intention of the medium you guys were involved with as being almost more important than the formalities of the medium themselves. Mm. And that's because I came from punk rock and underground music, like lo-fi music, where that was my whole thing, you know? Like I was... I was making records before I could play three chords properly. I was recording albums on a boombox. Like the whole idea was that like of punk rock was destroy the formalities, the intention, the vibe, that that's what's enlightening about it. So for me, the quest to destroy that came from punk rock has almost been my spiritual modus operandi of tearing through illusions. And that's why I got attracted to... I think the spiritual idea is that they resonate on the same level of like, how many lies can I pummel through on my way to figuring out what I'm doing here? So that's interesting. So you view kind of a punk rock spiritual path as breaking down illusions and lies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I found that like, for me, maturing has been about getting honest with myself and letting go of viewpoints, it's been a lot more letting go than learning in a way, you know? Like I think for me personally, it's like even say making music now with Josh, um, I'm involved in a lot of collaborations now where for about 20 years of music, I controlled the whole thing. Mm. It was like me, every decision. Now, you know, I'm reading this musical with Tom Robbins, I'm working with Josh, I'm playing a lot like with very, with great artistic thinkers and for me, the, will you write an opera with me? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, let's do it, man. <laughs> but like the the humility that that's asked me mm. to step into has been actually like a letting go of an affectation of sort of arrogance. Now I'm that picturing I you on, guys you know? playing on the couch together, <laughs> yeah. and you're you're playing some little riff. You've been in recording business for 25 years, and then. Um, Josh is like, yeah, I don't know, Ben. That doesn't work for me. He and does in, say that. And inside, you're kind of like, who the fuck is this guy? No, but that's the <laughs> Go back of to your it. sitcom, asshole. No, that's the I'm beauty just kidding. of it. This is, this is, for me, this is a point of my artistic journey where there's, at, look, I've been making records for 25 years to varying degrees of moderate success, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Some more moderate than others. And um, basically, at this moment is when you either become like a cynical lifer. Mm-hmm. Or you continue to throw yourself into having a child's mind about creativity and going, oh. let's do something new. Let's, let me be tested here. And I'm finding the beauty of trusting Josh's musical instincts is totally blowing my musical world open. So you find that Josh has musical instincts? For sure. Oh, that's fantastic. That's been part of the journey. What it? are your musical instincts, Josh? Well, uh, 
You know, Ben said something to me early on in the process. He said, I'm, re- I'm getting a really strong hit that I'm, I'm supposed to support your musical vision. And I, and I was like, I didn't know I had one. And he insisted that I did. And, and in fact, our, the very first song we wrote, Wider Spaces, which is the last song on the record, um, he said to me the first time we got together to write a song, I, I kind of had this vision like he would take more of the musical stuff and I would you know, do a lot of the lyrics or we'd collaborate on the lyrics. And it kind of hasn't worked out that way. It's been, it's been like this big, amazing, amorphous soup of things. And he asked me if I had any melodies kicking around in my head. And I, I was doing Disgrace, this play on Broadway, and I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I had had this dream about a children's choir singing this song that was so beautiful. And I, and I recorded, I croaked it into my iPhone at like three in the morning. And so I still had it and I played oh, it for fantastic. him. that's fantastic. That's the melody we used on our first song. Ben really liked the melody and just started plunking it out. And he's given me so much. I mean, it's really been like this back and forth because he's let me see that there's melodies flowing through me, that um, we've collaborated as much on the music as the lyrics. And I'm now playing guitar daily for a long time. I'm pretty obsessed with it. And I'm writing my own songs or writing little bits of songs and bringing them to Ben and we will finish them together. So, um, but the other thing he said to me is that um, I kind of jarred him out of, and maybe you can speak about this, Ben, but about, you know, that I am not a professional musician. I mean, I suppose I somewhat am now, but before I, I approached this as a fan in that this is what I want to listen to, this is what I want to hear. Whereas, uh, you know, I, Ben has said that that's helped him shake him out of some of his habits. Yeah, and truly, like, the legacy of do-it-yourself underground music is that it's not elitist. You mm-hmm. shouldn't, like, 25 years of experience writing songs actually doesn't give you an edge necessarily emotionally on someone sitting down to write their first song. Yeah, you got a bunch of techniques and you're more reliable and probably like a song I write um, has a better shot of like covering its fundamental bases than Josh's song he'll just, you know, but that's not what it's about. In terms of transcendence, everyone's got the same stuff in them. And for me, the beauty of it is like creating a space for this thing to emerge between us that we couldn't have anticipated before. Now you talk about transcendence. What's your view on transcendence and how does that connect to the artistic process? Well, to me, transcendence is reality, I suppose. I think of living my day-to-day life. I love iCal. You know, I am so into my calendar on the phone and the computer. It's like I live and die by this calendar. It's like I've got to call this person. I've got to go to rehearsal. I've got to do... And you get really locked in this. Life becomes very simple, Um, stressful and regimented, you know? It's very obvious, very Mm -hmm. material. And then there are transcendent moments. I actually had one last night. My wife shook my foot because I was snoring really loudly apparently. And I woke up and I laughed because I knew what had happened. And suddenly I became acutely aware of my own mortality. I felt myself, (laughs) like it was weird. It was the middle of the night. She'd given me such a shock that Mm. I was like realized myself hurtling towards death. Mm. And... I saw how important having a good attitude was. And it like, oh, it was this weird 30 seconds of like, I was suddenly in reality. I'd zoomed out, but it, it took a I shock. I love that idea you know? that transcendence is reality. Because yeah. we think of like, well, reality is this. It's this cup of coffee and this plaid rug. That's reality. But reality is we have a limited time on this planet and it's our duty to question it, explore it and experience it with joy, yeah. uh, create while we can. 
and that it's sacred. Like, you know, I'm trying to instill this in my daughter. Like the other, yesterday or the day before I turned to her, she was playing, I said, are you enjoying your life? And she said, yeah, do some people not? And I said, yeah, I think some people don't. She said, that's sad. <laughs> um, we just had this moment where I was just trying to show her, like, it's okay to be aware, to be zoomed out for a minute and go, oh, yeah, I'm a human having a life. How am I finding that? No, that, this, you know, this <laughs> by the way, this story that Ben was telling about his wife and the foot and the the moment is something he would tell me when he, we came he came over to write, and that that would be the basis of a song. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's kind of how we write. I want to like, hear hey, what's, that what's on your going next on? album. It's called Foot Shaker. We'll it's like a yeah. Black Crows track. It's yeah, really yeah. sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me about this this process. Then you recorded an album. What's what's that like, Josh? Did you go in this <laughs> studio? What? What, what yeah, happens? I went in, in the, ben Lee, uh, the Ben Lee recording studio. Where we, we're sitting we just, right now. Uh, <laughs> this is your recording studio? <laughs> right on that couch. That's, that's where we, that's where that's we did all the fantastic. vocals. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I was leaving to um, do a play at Lincoln Center, and, and we recorded what we thought were going to be scratch tracks. Is that the term, Ben? That sounded very professional. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we laid it down. And um, I, we thought we would re-record the vocals and then our friend Ryan Dilmore, uh, who's a great musician and songwriter and also an amazing producer, he got a hold of the vocals and, and started mixing tracks and, and getting some musicians uh, to play on them. And our friend Karenza Peacock played violin all over the record. And uh, he, just, he just produced an amazing record and we so liked the, the vibe of it and the sound of it that we, uh, we re-recorded a couple of the vocals, but largely... The vocals were what we what we laid down um, early on, so, so it wasn't. Yeah, what's your album about? I'm, I'm from my first listen. I'm I hear love songs to God. I don't really hear love songs to women on it. Uh, there are there are some love songs to women. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. think they're not that different. Like, is what you're looking for in all the great love poetry to me? Those are those. Are, that's poetries of you know, devotion to the mystery of existence and vice versa. Yeah, like, like Van Morrison does that very well. Totally where you don't know if he's singing yeah. to God or Jesus or his wife or yeah. some... We, we like that vibe. I mean, I, I think that they are somewhat <laughs> interchangeable in a way. Uh-huh. And the great yeah. mystic love poems and poems King of Rumi, Solomon. the Persian poems were always like that blur between... Love of the beloved. What and what does that mean? That yeah. Fire well, we have that? a we have a song called "Hello, My Beloved," <laughs> like, and we have a song which is a proper love song and could be read as a song to a love song to God. We have a song called "Still Though We Should Dance," which is based on a Hafiz poem. So um, we certainly are influenced by that kind of Sufi ecstatic kind of poetic thing. And it's quite funny because our shared vocabulary and the dialogue we share around such an inclusive spirituality, which you know we share with you, like people that are interested in spiritual thought. They've read things from different traditions. They've, that's very natural. Mm-hmm. But you, you live in a bit of a bubble and you forget, like you said at the beginning, that a lot of people, their only association with spirituality is sort of evangelism of some kind. So we did, we played a little gig. Is it a punk rock gig. We went on at midnight in a bookstore in Oakland, California, after this super hardcore band. And the, the girl that worked there came up and she said, are you guys like born again? And I realized like, oh, it's really important for us to talk about that this, we don't have a religious agenda. We're not any one religion. Like you don't have to be aligned with a religion to love life. 
you know? And for me, the, what I realise is this has to become part of the narrative we have around the record to explain it to people so they don't make assumptions about us that we have some kind of agenda to convert people to something. We're not converted to anything ourselves. We just believe that asking questions and falling in love with existence is a worthwhile venture. So there's a lot of people right now listening, I'm imagining, and this may be something I'm very sensitive to because here I am, I'm, you know... I did 10 years of theater acting before I even went to L.A. Then I was kind of semi-unemployed in L.A. for four or five years kicking around before I got on Six Feet Under and then got Dwight on The Office. And then, like you, Josh, like I was a theater actor who was pretty good at comedy, and then I got cast in this kind of seminal role as Dwight, and you got cast in in a seminal role kind of around the same time, although I had Mm -hmm. been out of school for a lot longer. Um, Right. And... Uh, but, you know, spirituality has always been a great passion of mine. Um, uh, I am a member of a, of a specific faith community, but I'm, that faith community supports the journey of exploration on all different levels, artistically and, you know, Baha'is read from all the world's faith traditions and study um, as well. But I'm very sensitive to this idea like that I'm this comedy guy, and I know like on my social media, whenever I talk about spirituality, people are just like, they just never want to stop vomiting. Like they just, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's gotten such a bad rap. So what do you guys say right now, just going a little off topic, like what do you say right now to the people listening to this podcast? You're like, wait, I wanted to hear conversations with artists talking about their craft and making their way in Hollywood or in the recording industry and how do they write songs and how do you create? And then you guys are talking about, you know, transcendence and, uh, uh, what do you what do you say to these people? I I remember um, going to St Mark's Church. You know they would have that poetry reading in New York always on New Year's Day, and they would have all the beat poets. And there was a famous story about Jim Carroll. Um, you know who wrote Basketball Diaries. Um, he they and invited he wrote that him. great punk song. All, all the people who died. died. Oh, yeah, yeah, all exactly. The people who died, exactly. died. And that red great one that he did a eulogy for Kurt Cobain. He wrote a lot of amazing things, but he. He walked in, they invited him to read. He's a famous junkie poet. And he came in and he threw up at the podium and everyone was so disapproving. And Patti Smith was like, you invited him here. You invited him. This is the work he makes. Like, (laughs) it's not separate. You know what I mean? Like, what are you looking for? Did you think this was an act? Um, And I would say very similarly (laughs) for me and Josh, this is our vomit. Um, We... (laughs) We are not people Sacred who. Vomit. Yeah, we're not people who separate the people we want to be from the art we make. And there are a million billion songwriters you can find who will talk to you about craft and G minus seven chords and you know whatever it is. But I think showing up in whatever way you show up authentically and passionately is the best thing an artist can offer. And this is who we are. So that's that's what yeah. we do. It's not a fun way to live for other people and their and and fulfilling their kind of perception or expectation of you. And and I think if you're if you want to be an artist, you know, you gotta um, risk. You know, you gotta shed your skin and risk alienating people to get to some other new thing. And the and the artists I respect are people that are like massively taking those chances and starting from zero. You know, and 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 that's kind of what this is for me. It was not the next logical move for me, as we said earlier, like. 
Um, it, it, it just, uh, you know, and I'm gonna be back on TV on a big show. It's not like I've turned my back on all that stuff, but, um, but this just was bringing me so much joy to collaborate with Ben and write music that it, it would have been foolish to, to turn my back on it and not say yes to it. Yeah, we you, were, we oh, were sorry, talking a little bit before the, the podcast and you guys mentioned that idea of following your gut, following your intuition as artists and seeing where it takes you. Is this, this is part of that then? That's kind of what you're referencing, Josh? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was I was offered um, like a big pilot on a big network, and and um, it, there was a lot that was attractive about it in the details, and um, I was getting a lot of pressure to do it, and there was just something in my bones that said like, don't do this. And when I finally, finally, finally passed on it for like the fourth time and gave the ultimate definitive no, my body could breathe, I, I could breathe, I, my body relaxed, I could I could feel it viscerally head to toe that I had made the right decision. And then a week later, I got Jason Kadem's called to meet about the show Rise that I'm filming now that'll be on in March, um, which feels 100% aligned in the right show for me to do. So I, I, I am fascinated that there exists within us this kind of, um, you know, GPS or this, this, this guidance system that we can pay attention to that's not logical because if you, I've, I've passed on things and, and, and dropped out of things that, that on paper were like, are you crazy? Why would you do that? And I just, I have to be true to that thing, that little voice inside that's like, yes, no. And um, a lot of it is just like uh, following the joy, like paying attention to where the joy is. Like when, when, when I have a writing day with Ben and Ben's about to come over and we're gonna write some songs together, like I am so excited. Like I get, and the few times he's canceled, it's been like a little bit of a heartbreak. Like I really, really, really love writing songs with him. And, and he's never left my house without us having at least a fragment of something that turns into something that we're really happy with. So um, I think that part of, you know, if being on a hit television show affords you anything, it should be freedom to follow that kind of joy. Mm. Yeah, and I think there are, um, you know, our industry, show business, like any other industry, it's full of these sort of pseudo gatekeepers that tell you there are formulas. Um, and there may be, I, I've never been an artist that formulas have worked for. They've always undermined my momentum. Um, anytime I've like taken the advice of like, oh yeah, you know, I remember Steve Martin writing about this, like his agent saying, what would, what, what would people want a Steve Martin to do right now? He's like, I am Steve Martin. Um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's similar. It's like there's all these logical things. Whoa, what should a Rain Wilson do now? What should a Ben Lee? What should a Josh? I'm really interested in um, sort of business theory. I find it really interesting. And there's, I picked up an interesting book recently um, called The Blue Ocean Theory. And it was about com competition for existing markets versus the creation of new markets. Mm. And I think it really applies to us as artists that if you go in there trying to compete for market share right. and me going like, well, Connor Oberst has this going on and John Mayer has that and how do I get a little slice of the male singer-songwriter world? It's like, ah, oh, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Mm. <laughs> Whereas if I say, hey, I'm going to vibrate out there what I'm interested in. I'm going to come on this podcast and talk about it. I'm going to find my people. It might, it might yeah. not be everyone. I don't need everyone to be into it. I just mm -hmm. need to find yeah. my tribe. And that's yeah. kind of, I think, what we're doing by making choices like this. We're flashing you know, a signal of what our value system is so that you can attract your audience in a more efficient way, really. What's, what's your experience with that, Rain? Because I think that's obviously something you've, you, you know, soul pancake and stuff. These were like decisions that were not like 
the conventional, like that wouldn't be an agent's idea. No, like, what's it, your, it's, yeah. um, you know, Soul Pancake, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, a digital media company I co-founded uh, a, now it's been about eight years ago when we started. And um, it started as a social website to chew on life's big questions. It was about philosophy and spirituality. And then we shifted into making a, uh, into having a YouTube channel, making digital media, and found that we were much better at making videos than we were at creating content or creating a social networking space. And, you know, I had, I had a real strong, you talk about intuition, or I had a gut. I was kind of like, there are people, this is a new market thing. At the time, in 2008, 2009, there was nothing that kind of positive on the web that was positive and about spirituality and uplifting, inspiring content. And I was like, there is a market for people who want inspiring, uplifting, connective content that celebrates our humanity and questions who we are and provokes bigger discussions. There's an audience for that. It might be small, but there's a, there's an underserved audience because I know I'm part of that audience. And we were the first one. There have been plenty of others afterwards, Upworthy and A+. Plus, and there's a lot of other companies. I'm not saying they like stole our idea. It just, we were at the vanguard of a movement. And, you know, and that paid off in the market. So about two or three years ago, the New York Times did a study, like what are the most shared digital media uh, online and you think, okay, comedy videos maybe are the most shared or fails are the most shared or gossip is the most shared. The most shared videos are inspiring videos. Wow. And um, so we kind of got in on that and kind of helped create a new market. Um, it probably would have created without us. Um, There's other companies that kind of did it much bigger and grander and more successfully than we did it, but I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, of that fact. You know, I'm looking over here, um, and I'm in Ben Lee's studio, This where this magic of this album was recorded. Ben Lee sings songs about Islam for the entire family. What's yeah. that? Well, I, I was making a project. It was originally going to be five albums um, of kids, kids' music, one about each of the world's major religions. Fantastic. So, so, um, but I didn't get... You have to do one about Zoroastrianism. Yeah, I know that's underrepresented in pop culture, um, <laughs> especially in children's albums. Exactly. But, um, Where are the good Zoroastrian kids albums these but, days? Uh, but what was right around? You know, I was in the middle of the project, and then the travel ban came up, and everything. Uh, you know, with Trump, and and I felt that there wasn't enough. Okay, there's all this conversation about how do we deal with Islamic fundamentalists, and uh, that the. In a way, that's a fair enough question. There's it's the dangers in the world. But I, I worried about the baby being thrown out with the bathwater and just not looking at this incredibly rich philosophical and artistic culture with great fables and great stories and metaphors about the mystery of existence. So I just released that one and I gave all the proceeds to the ACLU. Um, and the other four are still lingering on hard drives, but it felt like it was a moment in being in, a, in America where mm -hmm. I live that mm -hmm. I didn't want to silently stand by while an entire culture and philosophical tradition was demonized. So it felt like the right moment to share yeah. that music. And how, how's it done? Has it taken off with like it Muslim family at no, all? No, I, don't, families? I don't, It didn't get taken off. What was interesting about it, the press loved it because they're very, you know, because, you know, they're, it's, it's a left-wing intelligentsia uh -huh. <laughs> who, are, who, who are interested in anything remotely uh, 
protest oriented. Um, but I, again, I wasn't expecting this to be the type of record that was going to have millions of copies. It's more about me feeling in integrity at that moment of mm-hmm. history and mm-hmm. sharing that way. And I do, you know, people write to me every now and then, they're like, oh, we play that for our kids. And I'm more interested in non-Islamic families playing it mm. because I think that's where the education ah, yeah. really needs to no. be. You know? Excellent point. And again, I'm not a Muslim. This doesn't come from someone trying to convert people to Islam. Right. It's just someone who respects the different cultural traditions. Yeah, fascinating. So what's next for uh, Radner and Lee? You guys are doing a tour of Brazil? That's correct. You guys are big in Brazil? <laughs> Apparently. We're selling pretty well down there. We're doing, what are we doing, five dates? Five shows, yeah. Yeah, five shows. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, We'll get to Australia at some point. That's definitely on the docket. I hear Uh, Ben Lee's pretty big down there. Yeah, he is. What countries do they watch How I Met Your Mother in? Everywhere. South America. It seems like all of them. (laughs) Yeah, South America, Because the office is very specifically American. I think Uh it's not, I think a little in England and some places, but... Um, I don't know why How I Met Your Mother travels well, but it does. There was a kid on uh, set who uh, was from Bangladesh. He was playing this Sikh guitarist in this um, this past week, and he. I've never been around someone so starstruck. He was he he. It was like he was faint around me because he came here seven years ago and learned English from How I Met oh, Your Mother. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> so so I was like in some weird. Uh, pantheon for him. Yeah, it was I had amazing. a friend he that was, was on uh, King of Queens, which is really big internationally, but like in Germany, it was like the number yeah. one comedy for like 10 years. It was just yeah. huge. And he went to Germany and he was like, he was like a Royalty. rock star in Germany. Was it Victor? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, also, we're, we're kind of doing things that are fun. Like that's yeah. our way of honoring this, that like we got this off of this tour of Brazil. And we're like, you want to go to Brazil Come for on. a week and do five shows? And Josh is like, yeah, and we're doing it. And this came up, you want to talk to Rain for an hour on a Saturday morning? Yeah, like we're kind of just trying to follow the good vibe of this because I think yeah. that's the way of honoring what the project's really about. And we're just trying to like also just open people's hearts. Like that's what music can do. Mm. I mean, music is so awesome because you can have people in another country that can't grasp any of the lyrics. They're catching a few right. words, but they actually feel... I mean, it's feeling-based. It's so odd. It's such an odd well, thing is, to be in. That's what know? I really appreciate about you guys as artists and I appreciate about this album was it is it is a feel-good album. It goes right from the heart. You guys are leading with your hearts. You're putting it all out there. It's very sincere and joyful and that's so rare these days. It's not an <laughs> ironic album. Uh, it's not edgy. Um, maybe it's edgy in the fact that it, it is so, you know, open-heartedly sincere. Maybe that's the new edginess. Do you want to tell tell our edgy joke, Josh? About the, oh uh, yes, this is this is our great this is our great onstage joke. <laughs> well, one of them. We've got like two more. But uh, I always say we we do uh, this song early in the morning, which is a, a cover, and, and the joke is that I said to Ben, you know, I think the album needs a little edge. Like, what if we did a Peter, Paul, and Mary cover? Give, give it some edge. Yeah, and give like, it a yeah, little punk idea. rock flavor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just to tip our hat to the, our forebears. Um, but, uh, no, I've always thought in a culture where everyone's kind of saying the opposite of what they mean and where people are actually afraid of, of saying anything sincere that, that, you know, that we do wear this irony like, like our kind of armor, I do think sincerity is, is, is a revolutionary act. I think it's... Um, 
it's it's actually scarier to do this. And and you know, we're we're so afraid of being seen and being mocked, but that to actually um, sing about what's going on with you and kind of bear some some scars a little bit and, and, and also share some joy. That feels like a tonic somehow. I mean, I'm always looking for artists that are willing to do that so I can feel a little more at home in my own skin and my own experience. Well, it's uh, been a super pleasure talking to you guys. Do you, um, anything else you want to throw into the mix? Josh, when's your uh, new show? It's called Rise. Rise, it'll be on Rise NBC. And Shine. Just Rise. There's NBC? Some, yeah, yeah. NBC? It'll okay. be on NBC in March. Yeah. And it's about a high school drama teacher who kind of changes kids' lives? Yeah, it's based on a true story about a, a guy named Lou Volpe who taught in um, a school in southwestern Pennsylvania for about 41 years. And he became this very famous uh, drama teacher and uh, a kind of nationally prominent. There's a, a beautiful book called Drama High by Michael Sokolov that it's based on. Um, and it's terrific. It's, it's, I'm so excited to be a part of it. I, I just love the show so much. And uh and I think it's going to be excellent. If you're a Friday Night Lights or Parenthood fan, it's Jason Kadem, same guy who did that. So Fantastic. Um, and then uh, our record comes out November 10th. Part of our um, inability to tour properly has been uh, me doing this show. But, uh, you know, once I'm done with this in late December, we're going to hit the road and try to bring more people to the music. Fantastic. Guys, it was a real pleasure uh, swinging by Ben's little pad up here and talking to you guys about art and music, and thanks for uh, having me. Thanks so much for doing it. Really Thanks so much, Rain. This was really fun. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the music. <laughs> and that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, head over to iTunes and Stitcher, where you can rate, review, subscribe, show some love, and help other people find the podcast. It's a pretty good thing. For exclusive behind-the-scenes content, check out at TalkHouse on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, and go to our YouTube channel where we have full video episodes recorded live at the Sona Store in Soho, NYC. Nick, who recorded today's episode? Let me think about this one. In New York, it was the excellent Charles Mueller. Shouts. And in LA, Ali Niku did The Business. Shouts. And who mixed and co-produced this one? Uh, it would be the one and only Mark Yoshizumi. Shouts. Thanks, Mark. I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. We'll see you next time. Until then.